0: There's power in your name. We we Jesus'. Life is burdensome. But you guys know that the apostle John tells us that God's commandments are not burdensome. Don't miss that paradox. Because really there's two types of people in the world. There's those who look at their lives and only see hardship. And those who look at the world and they see God's gift of life. And don't think that that perspective does not change everything. If you have a thirst for knowledge, then you'll relate to Solomon's request to God for wisdom. We have a great advantage in being able to see what Solomon did with that knowledge and how he viewed his life at the end. Today, Pastor Daniel tells us why there's only one pursuit in life that won't leave you empty, a relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 4, with his continuing study entitled, Anyone Frustrated? you will have an opportunity by the end of this service to to make that decision. Say, hey, okay, I'm in. I don't want to be on the hamster wheel of uselessness, vanity, absurdity, meaninglessness. Now, for the rest of this chapter, we see three areas of frustration. Three areas of frustration. Let me show them to you. First, in verse 4, look at what it says. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Verse six, the wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So verses 48, we find that nature is frustrating. Nature's frustrating. Why? Remember I told you that this preacher, be it Solomon or whoever, is he's an empiricist, he's a scientist. He's using observation of the world. And what he says is that life continues to go on in a cycle. First, it's one generation. One generation comes, passes away, and then another generation comes. There was a generation before us, and until the Lord comes back, there's going to be generations after us, and we have a certain amount of time here, but that cycle keeps going. It's funny, I was talking to my father about his experience when he retired from his job. My father had worked as a, in the IT department of a large company for a long time And I remember he was, he was ready to retire And so he retired, it was that time And I remember he just thought to himself Man, I wonder what they're going to do without me And so he retired on a, on a Wednesday And he needed to pick up some things in his office So he went back to his office two days after he retired You know what he found? There was a new name on the door Someone had moved into his office And all of his stuff was in storage Two days. And my father said, At that moment, I realized they moved on. I'm not needed. There's a new guy, new gal in that office. They had to go find my leftover stuff. Life goes on without me. That's the frustration that Solomon's getting. He's like, Look, when your life is past, there's going to be another generation that's going to come. They're going to pick up right where you left off. Isn't that frustrating when you build your identity on that I am that important? See, Solomon is getting at the reality that that we're all specks of sand in the world. After your time is done, there's going to be another person who's going to step right on in, do what you were doing. But when our whole identity is built on the fact that we are of infinite importance, and I'm not saying that you're not, but Solomon's saying, look, one generation comes and passes away, another generation shows up, another generation gets at it. That's frustrating. Not only that, Even though we are impermanent because one pass away and another comes, nature isn't. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it comes every single day. Sun comes up, goes down. The wind comes and goes. The waters from the river to the sea, back to the river to the sea. Everything runs on its cycle. Even us. Nature is frustrating that way. When you watch it, you realize that, hey, I can't find my meaning from this. I'm impermanent, but these things still go. It makes you think of Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You hear what he says? He's saying, look, creation, nature, is subjected to what? Futility. Vanity. Why? Because it's broken. But notice the Apostle Paul, with the revelation that, we, that he had of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, he says, listen, but it's groaning and laboring until the birthing of the new kingdom. The people of God. And brothers and sisters, listen, when you look at nature, it's beautiful, but it also reminds you how small you are, but we have to realize that this is not all that there is. We have to temper the frustration and pessimism of our humanity with the reality that there is more to life than this go around. That God is not finished yet. God's not finished yet. Verse 8, it's the perfect culmination to this because look what it says. All things are full of labor. Everything takes work. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing and nor the ear filled with hearing. He's saying, look, in all of nature, our ears and our eyes are never satisfied. When was the last time you thought, I've heard enough. I don't ever want to hear anything ever again. No matter how much beauty... You've beheld with your eyes. One of you said, I've seen enough beauty. I do not need my sight anymore. In all of this, there's a lack of fulfillment, a lack of satisfaction. So everything's frustrating. We find that nature is frustrating. Now look at what happens in verse 9. That which has been is what will always be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun... Is there anything of which it may be said, verse 10? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after it. So not only is nature frustrating, but in verses 9, 10, and 11, when we find out that history is frustrating, when you look back over your time, when you look forward to a future time, you find it's still frustrating. Look at what he says. That which is, been, is what has been will be. And that which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Do you realize that? Don't get me wrong. There's inventions and things, but there's truly nothing new under the sun. Don't think. And see, and this is a big problem, I think, in America, in our kind of cultural elitist way that we see the world is that we think that we're the only ones who have ever thought these thoughts that these ways that we look at the world man this has to be right i mean it's absurd to think any other way you know what's funny you have to always keep in mind how many of you think your great-grandparents views on things were totally absurd now all of us let's be honest you guys who came through the 60s you have no excuse you got to raise your hand you were undoing everything that they did You're like, man, they are old school. You know what's amazing? Know what what your grandkids are going to say? That you are off your rocker. All these phenomenal things that we think we know, that we think are right, that we think are important, that we're going to change the world in two generations are going to look at us and think we're all loco and la cabeza. That's what they're going to say. Because that's what every single generation has said about their elders. They just don't get it. So if everybody has always said they just don't get it, we need to... Trust that the next generation will think we don't get it. So what has been is what it's been. What's gonna be is what's gonna be. There's nothing new. We haven't had one new thought. Do you think we're the first? Do you think we're the first culture to give up our ideas of what morality is? (laughs) Read the history of the Roman Empire. If you think, oh, this is we're so conscious in this generation, we're so understanding of the world. No, we're just doing exactly what the Romans did when was the last time you met a Caesar? Uh, Yeah, they don't exist anymore. The Roman Empire went right down the same road. Western civilization is going down. Because you know what they say about history? Those who forget it are doomed to repeat it. You think we're the first society that's beginning to say, listen, everyone's truth is their own truth. That's older than dirt. See, history is frustrating because there's nothing new under the sun. It's funny, you guys know my background was in music. I love music. It's amazing to watch the evolution of music. Remember when the Beatles came? The Beatles were like, whoa. And now when you listen to I saw him standing there or I saw her standing there, you're like, oh, man, that sounds really dated. And then we all want to decide that there was some point when that was when it was really right, you know? There's that part of history that we need to stay there. That's called the traditionalist mentality. That everything was good right there. Some of us look at our culture. You guys want to take us back to 1983. Because when Ronald Reagan was here, it was all good. I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. But guess what? It's never going to be 1983 again. It's gone. Goodbye. Nothing we can do about it. It's, we've moved on from that. And the key is not to try and bring us back to a former time in history... It's about being God's people in the present. But history is frustrating because it's going to be what it's going to be. We have no control over it. There's nothing new under the sun. Look at verse 10. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. And then there's no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things which is to come by those who come after it. See, it's amazing. He says that we really don't understand history. How many of you were in World War II? Still have some World War II vets here. God bless you guys and gals. My grandfather turned 90 today. World War II vet. I realized when I talked to him, I don't have a clue what happened in World War II. I get it filtered through books and perspectives for different reasons. Have no clue what it was like. How many of you were involved in the Vietnam conflict in different ways. Some you, God bless you. I realize I don't have a clue about Vietnam. I mean, I, I read it in books and stuff. I wasn't there. I don't have a clue what really happened. I get it filtered through all these different filters. And that's what he's saying. He's like, the problem with history, the problem with history is that it leaves you hanging. You don't... History doesn't give you what you want it to, which is a firm, stable foundation. History leaves you hanging. So not only... Not only is nature frustrating and history frustrating, but look at how this chapter comes to a close. Verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, And indeed, all is vanity and grasping at the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. Verse 16, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So not only is nature frustrating and history frustrating, but now we find that wisdom is also frustrating. Wisdom is frustrating this whole passage about all the information, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, it still leaves us frustrated with the human condition. Notice what he says in verse 13. I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given the sons of men. You notice that? Verse 13 is the first mention of God. In the entire book, right there. We made it 13 verses without God being the center. But notice, this does set up the whole thing. He's setting his heart. He's saying, look, I want to understand what the meaning of life is. What's the most important thing? And he says, I looked and I observed all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task that God has given the sons of men. You notice he calls it a burdensome task. He's saying in the natural, with natural eyes looking at the world, this is burdensome. He's thinking about Genesis chapter 3 when God cursed Adam and said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the ground. See, in the natural, we look at life and we say, man, this is hard. It's burdensome. God has given us a challenging experience. Now, it's interesting, if you notice, Solomon is not arguing for the existence of God. It is a completely human look at the world. Life is burdensome. But you guys know that the Apostle John tells us that God's commandments are not burdensome. Don't miss that paradox. Because really there's two types of people in the world. There's those who look at their lives and only see hardship and those who look at the world and they see God's gift of life. And don't think that that perspective does not change everything. But know what's interesting? Let's assume that many of us here today, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but yet you still find yourself feeling a lot like Solomon. You believe, but you're like, man, this life is a bummer. It's frustrating. It's all messed up. Why can't it be better? Why can't it be more beautiful? What is going on? And I believe that for those of you who are here who are already Christians, when you realize that you already have everything you need, you need to ask God to give you the faith To view your world in conjunction with who Jesus is. Now, others of us in here, you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus. You you don't believe and you don't want to believe. And I'm here to tell you, then be as frustrated as it really is. If you're going to be honestly not trusting in the God who created and sustained everything, And I would tell you, you're not even nearly frustrated enough. You should be more pessimistic than you are. Because if you will not believe in God, then everything, you're going to travel with us through this book, you're going to find that everything is exceedingly more frustrating than you realize. That you are not even giving credit to your own worldview by not being nihilistic and pessimistic. Like Nietzsche, who went mad at the futility of his experience. See, even though my heart breaks that he went mad, at least he was honest about what he believed and lived it out to its fullest end. A lot of people say that they don't believe in God, but they actually live like they do believe in God. Which is not even an honest worldview. But again, those are the two poles. There's others in here. Today's the day you're going to say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm going to let the Son of God who came and lived and died, I'm going to let Him take care of showing me that the meaning of life is to learn the meaning of life. That the most important thing is to realize that there is a God and that I'm in relationship with Him and that infuses everything no matter how mundane with phenomenal amounts of meaning. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. This is what Solomon is doing. He's saying, look, wisdom, it left me hanging. Solomon was the wisest man next to Jesus who ever lived. Go read 1 Kings chapter 3. God asked Solomon, the son of David, he said, look, what do you want? I will give you anything you want. Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for power. He said, I just want wisdom to lead people well. And God gave it to him. The end of 1 Kings chapter 3, we find Solomon functioning in exceeding wisdom. Exceeding wisdom. But the wisdom that he asked for did not get him what he wanted. He was still unfulfilled. See, with all of Solomon's wisdom, what he realized was that the task of humanity was burdensome and vain. So he realized, I'm going to build these temples. Someone else is going to do whatever they do with them. Build these houses. Build this business. Someone's going to come after me, and they're going to do whatever they set their heart to. To it. Do you notice what it says in these last verses here? To me, it's tragic. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I think it was Albert Einstein and Bertrand Russell who said that the most depressed people are the ones who are the smartest. Now, just if you're here depressed, don't just take that as, hey, the reason I'm so depressed, I'm so smart. But the people who know the most are often the most grim about the world that they live in. Because with much wisdom, the awareness of what this life is, is challenging. See, this last section, this reality that wisdom is frustrating, this gives us the whole stage for the whole book. Notice what he says, verse 16. I commune with my heart, saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is grasping at the wind. Do you realize that the pursuit of wisdom... In and of itself is unfulfilling. See, wisdom, pleasure, wealth, power, self sacrificial service none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But when we make those things an end for life, it leaves us completely lacking. But When you have vision for who God asks you to be, then if God gives you wisdom, then you steward it as unto God's glory and not your own. If God gives you tremendous wealth, you realize, I have an opportunity to change the world. If God gives you power, you say, I am going to wield and steward the power God has given me as Jesus did. It's the most powerful man who ever lived. See, these things without a vision for life that comes to us through Jesus Christ will leave you lacking. That's why it's all frustrating. But when you place Jesus at the center, then brothers and sisters, everything changes. It all changes. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 20 to 25. It says, "Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus real radio. We are on the radio because we want to see all of God's children learn how to simply respond to Jesus. Jesus is at street level. He is where the rubber meets the road in your world. In my world, right where we are and where everybody is And it is our hope to see Jesus' real radio Reach every single living soul who is alive on the earth in this generation God's heart is that not any should perish But that all would come to repentance And we realize the radio is an amazing opportunity To reach some of the more than 6 or 7 billion people on the earth So listen We're on the radio because people have given so that we can be. Now listen, God is generous. And God invites us to be generous in the entirety of our lives. You should be plugged into a local church. And you should be faithfully giving to that local church. We thank God. For the local congregation Scattered all over the world But if you're one of those people Who want to step into giving Over and above What you would to your local congregation And if you're being blessed By the Jesus is Real Radio Ministry We would invite you to come And partner with us Literally we want to see The message of the good news Of the finished work of Jesus Not only reach everybody here in America But everybody across Europe In the 1040 window Across Southeast Asia all the way all the way to the far east for us. We want everyone here and it's going to take people like you and like me to step on into that. So seek the Lord and simply respond to Jesus and we're going to trust him to do all that he wants to do with Jesus is Real Radio. God bless you. Bye.